Let us pray. Good God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of your church written down. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Would you speak to your people and to me? Amen. Um, I wonder, would you like to take a journey with me to the first century of the church? Is that okay? Yeah. A lot has happened. This has been probably the, the, the craziest year ever for the church. Uh, the, there had been silence from God for about 400 years. Silence from the time of Micah and Malachi, the prophets. And then all of a sudden, there was John the Baptist. Repent and be baptized. Turn from your sinful ways. And oh, there's a prophet amongst us after 400 years. And they all gather, they go, and they get baptized by him. And then John says, there's someone coming who's greater than me. And then Jesus is walking around and he heals here, he heals there. He raises this person from the dead here. He heals here, he raises this person from the dead there. He turns water to wine over here. He's doing incredible things. He claims that he is the son of God. After 400 years of nothing, now we have this guy. Okay, then he starts to teach some weird things. Like, if you don't eat of my body and drink of my blood, you have no part in what's mine. It's a bit confusing. So people start to turn on him. This is in the same space of 30 years or so. Probably with John the Baptist, it's five years. Jesus, for three years, teaches, heals, and does miracles. And then what do the Romans do? Crucify him. So all his friends, the 12 who were walking with him, they're in the place of absolute despair. This, this man who we thought was going to change the world now is dead. And we say the peace every time with the, with the passage about Jesus turning up in the room they had locked from the inside. This is three years from the time he started doing things. They're locked in the room. Jesus appears. He says, peace be with you. And they all see him and they're filled with joy. And then Thomas, who's not there, is like, ah, I haven't seen him. And then Jesus appears again, just for Thomas. That's how gracious God is. Those who are doubtful among us, he does the work. So put your hand in the holes and, you know, see how it goes. I can't hold rice anymore in my hands because it will fall straight through. You know? And Thomas does it, and it sticks. And then Jesus says, wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Now they're in this place where they don't have the New Testament like we do. They don't have the, the, the New Testament or the Bible. All they have is the Old Testament. And they're waiting. Waiting for the Holy Spirit. The same band of nervous people. And then, if you read in the book of Acts, which is a book worth reading. I read the whole one yesterday. It was good fun. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes and falls upon them. And the craziest thing happens. They start to speak in a language they don't understand. But the Italians understand it as Italian, the French as French, the Spanish as Spanish. And this group of people who are in this room locked in from the inside, step outside. And it's nine o'clock in the morning, by the way. So the scripture says, the Holy Spirit came at nine. So you guys, are, we are right on time. Yeah. <laughs> We're right on time. They step outside and people are like, what's going on with you guys? How can you be drunk at nine? And Peter says, we're not drunk, actually. This is all to do with that 
incredible thing that's been happening in Israel this 33 years or so, and especially this last couple of months. Jesus has been confirmed as God by rising from the dead. And the fact that you can hear these Jewish people speaking, you know, Cyrillic, is proof that God is involved in our lives again. And so Peter steps out, goes, uh, the person who turned away from Jesus denied him three times, goes to the temple to preach. They meet a lame person, heals the person, you know, goes to this other place, does this other miracle, goes to this other place, does this other miracle. The disciples start to grow in number and the church becomes big. Becomes big. And then the teachers of the law start to ask questions. Why are you guys still teaching about this Jesus? Can you stop? Because it's not in the Old Testament. They don't have a New Testament yet, so they can't bring all the proofs. It's not in the Old Testament. Peter explains to them, it's beginning at Moses all the way. Stephen does the exact same thing. And if you follow the story of the church, what happens to people who preach about Jesus? They suffer. They suffer. And the church gets persecuted, and they scatter and spread across much of the Roman world, because it was the Romans who were in charge. And they spread across. But what do they do wherever they go? They can't keep their mouths shut. They can't keep quiet. Because something inside them is so true and so rich, they have to tell somebody. Who here um, has ever had a, a grandchild or a nephew or a niece born to someone that they know or care about? Can you keep that a secret? It's very hard, isn't it? It's, it's really hard. I'm always itching with my phone to show a photograph. It's just like, it's, it's good news. You can't keep it a secret. Evangelion. So wherever they go, what do they do? We've got to tell you about this this weird thing that's happening because it's been a weird, it's been a weird, this lifetime of ours is different from the ones of my fathers or my grandfathers or my great-grandfathers. Nothing happened for 400 years. And now all of a sudden, we've got people rising from the dead. We've got, you know, people being woken up to make lunch who are feeling unwell. That's uh, Simon's mother-in-law. We did that in Mark last year. You know, we've got all these things happening. You know, this is, this is, this is incredible. And then the Holy Spirit also came on us. And we could speak in a language that we couldn't understand. But other people did. Some among us are being persecuted for it. But actually, the person we follow, Jesus, lost his life. Bring us the good news of God's love. Now, in the running away, guess who starts to chase them? Paul. Now, Paul, on his way to Damascus, with paperwork that would ensure that he could kill everybody who was a Christian, meets with Jesus. Can you imagine this hundred years has not even passed? This is still within 40 maybe years of Jesus' life. It's not long. It's not long at all. He's got this paperwork and he's on his way. He meets Jesus. Imagine being the person God sends to Paul to pray for Paul's eyes to get opened again. Trembling, I know this guy can kill me and he's got every authority to do so, but God's telling me to go, so I'm going to go. And what happens? Paul gets healed and he begins his ministry and he goes from place to place. Wherever he lands, he sits, he talks, he goes to the marketplace, he goes to meet the baker, he goes to meet the potter, he makes a tent and sells it. And whoever he sells the tent to, hey, look, this is a lovely tent, but I've got to tell you, your body is a tent. 
It's supposed to be a tent for the holy God. The God I know is going to make it into a palace for himself in time to come. It's perishable. And unless it dies, you don't receive the imperishable one. Telling people the gospel and planting churches. And so Philippi is one of those places that Paul ends up. We're still in that time spring where just a lot is going on. Uh, The only thing I can compare it to was 2016 uh, here. 2016 was a very mad year. Everything seemed to happen in 2016. Some of my, sort of, the people I looked up to passed away. You know, some of the voting took place all across the globe in America and in here. It was just, everything was going on in 2016. Everything was going on in this time. So Paul in Philippi, he goes to a town that's chock full of Romans because that's a colony for them. And if it was a Roman colony, for sure it had Roman soldiers to guard it. And this is the place where the people who killed Jesus have settled. Romans. And he goes and he starts to preach. He preaches and he talks to people about Jesus and a church grows. Now this church is in a place where it's actually still dangerous for them to talk about Jesus. Still dangerous for them. But they gather. Probably a small amount. It won't be that many people, I assume. But they would have started off with four or five, gone on to two or three families, five or six families. And so when Paul sees the church is established, he goes off to somewhere else. And on his journeys, he gets arrested. But all the while, while he's gone, this group of people in Philippi, they keep sending him nice little packets. Uh, Here's some money to help with the stuff that you're doing. You were so gracious to us. You came and you stayed with us. And even when we were ignoring you in the marketplace, you stayed and loved us to tell us enough about the gospel. So here, of what we have, you, you have a share. Of what we have, you have a share. And this is the story of Paul and the Philippian church. So by the time he is on house arrest in Rome, towards the end of his life, actually, he would have been very aware that he, was, he would be executed pretty soon. He's receiving a package from Philippi. And you can just you can feel his heart warming. That in this weird time where God's working, but also man is working to suppress what God is trying to do. In this weird time where I'm under house arrest, for sure facing the same death that my Lord Jesus faced. In this time, are people who are in a town where they are also under persecution can think to send me good things. Picks up a pen. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his normal greeting. And then, I thank God every time I remember you. I thank God every time I remember you. There are days when I've been speaking to a Roman soldier who's guarding me and the gospel's just not sinking. And he's just not listening to what I'm saying. 
who's dismissing everything I'm doing, I remember you. Because when I came to your town, there was no Christian. But that miracle of someone's heart turning to the Lord Jesus, someone's heart turning back to God, happened amongst you. And because that's happening, that's happened there, I can trust that my work here won't be fruitless. I thank God every time I remember you. Thank God, because it's for this that he redeemed me. In all my prayers for you all, I always pray with joy. Even if I am in prison facing execution, I always pray with joy. Do you know what the difference between a Christian and anybody else is? For most people, joy is an external thing, and the problem that they have is working out what's going on on the inside. I do not know where I'm going to be. So all the thirsts that people are after are for external joy. If you ask what the biggest desires for people are for, health, wealth, all these things, external joy, internal peace is harder. It's harder. But the unique thing about a Christian, and you find this in Paul and the Philippian church, is that the joy and peace is from within. And what happens to the external circumstances? Paul's in prison. The Philippian church is being persecuted. Internal joy, external turmoil. Why? Because you know who you are, where you came from, where you're headed, who's in charge, and what he wants you to do. Internal peace, external turmoil. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I know that as I'm talking to this Roman soldier, you're probably going to be talking to a Roman soldier wherever you are. You will be serving in the houses of, of Roman rich men. You who will be giving them the juice in the morning. There is a chance for you there to share the gospel. I am joy-filled because I know that. And here, if God could accomplish what he's accomplished in me and he's not finished yet, I am confident that he who began a good work in you, we're now in verse 6, will be faithful to complete it in you. If he can do this through me, I am confident, even though I am unfinished, he who has begun a good work in you, and obviously he has because you keep sending me these nice little parcels, and whoever it is that bakes those little cakes, tell her thank you very much. Or him, because they're delicious. And every time I taste one, I just know that God loves me. It will be like us sending a love gift to Emily Braybrook. It's like us sending a love gift to, to Nabil and Sarah, to Jenny and John, and saying, hey, here you are. And they receive it, and they're like, oh. We are partners in the gospel. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. Long for you. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
This prayer is important. It's important for one very important reason. The church at the time was in its infancy. So it was facing issues from outside in terms of persecution, but it was also facing issues from inside, just trying to work out how things are. If you read Acts, you hear conversations between Jews and Gentiles about whether all the men who become Christians should be circumcised. You hear conversations about whether or not God's going to give his Holy Spirit to those who are not Jews. You hear conversations about, oh, what do I do? My dad is a priest in a, in a church that's not a Christian church, and he comes home with a food that's been offered to the idols. Do I eat food with my dad or do I not? There's a lot going on. And so this prayer points to some of what Paul's going to do in the rest of the letter. It's a prayer for discernment. It's a prayer for love. It's a prayer for a growth in knowledge and insight in, into, into an understanding of who God is. Who am I? Where do I come from? Where am I going? Who's in charge? And what does he want me to do? I pray that you grow in these things because our partnership in the gospel depends on it. And this has been an introduction to this book. We have the study guide, which I hope you pick up at the back and just go through bit by bit. Uh, if you're part of a small group, this is a good thing to use. If you're not part of a small group, this is still a very good thing to use. But Paul here is saying, grow in the faith of Christ. We will see, looking at this book, how he wraps the story of what the church should be like around the story of this man, Jesus, who, though he was in very nature God, considered that nothing to be grasped, but came as low as he could, lower than the lowest person, a dead person, and in his rising has lifted anybody who would hold on to his name so that they can be seated in heavenly places with him. That being the defining factor of how the church should react and interact with each other. I can't finish the sermon without inviting us to think about who we are in partnership with in the gospel. Now, us as a church, obviously, we have our partners across the globe. I don't know, I wonder who you might be in partnership with in the gospel. Perhaps a friend living somewhere different to you who is a Christian whom you could encourage, either by a letter or one of those little nice cakes that you, that you make. Um, but let's pray this prayer for them as an end. And then let's ask the Holy Spirit to come and descend upon us and help us so that we can be good partners in the gospel on our end. And if perhaps um, there's a renewing important for you in your faith in Jesus Christ. Now is a good time to ask the Holy Spirit to help with that. So let's pause. I'll read this prayer. We'll wait for the Holy Spirit and then I'll read it again. This is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Heavenly Father, we pray that for those in whom we're in partnership.
poyone. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. It's been an incredible millennium, two millenniums actually, since then. God is still at work. Amen.